Today on CityCast Denver, here in the Mile High City, 2022 was definitely the summer of the e-bike. Whether they were in the news with the city's new rebate program or on the trails zipping past you at that eerily steady clip, everyone was talking about e-bikes. At least everyone's goofy uncle was talking about them. But are e-bikes really for everyone? And now that summer is over, are we destined for yet another single occupancy car winter? Me and Bree finally tried a couple for ourselves, and we brought in one of our favorite guests to give us an insider's look at the e-bike craze. As usual, it's Friday, and this episode is explicit. You've been warned. Today is Friday, September 16th, 2022. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the car theft capital of America. What? It's Friday. It's true. I learned from our guest, who we'll introduce in a second. Okay. We can ask him about it. Uh, it's Friday. We're in the Lindy Zimmer studio at Westward, talking about the news. Bree is here. Bree, welcome. Hi. And we have a great guest today. Uh, he was actually, like I said, the source of that fact about car thefts. He reports on housing and all sorts of other things for Westward. You may remember him from our recent episode on the Walmartification of Denver which was a really fun one you should go back and listen to if you haven't heard it. Um, Connor McCormick-Cavanaugh, welcome back. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah? Doing well, yeah. Uh, you want to talk about Valentis? Sure, yeah. So uh, <laughs> Valentis Corleones, uh, whose uh, legal name is Hussam Kayali, is uh, running for Denver mayor. Most people will know him as the former owner of the now-closed Beta Nightclub, Beta Event Center, and also the cabin tap house, which was in the home of the Falling Rock tap house that also was closed. Both were essentially shut down by the city for law and code violations. Uh, Valentis is one of a kind, kind of a, a larger than life <laughs> personality. And I, I don't think he's necessarily front runner for mayor, but he, he has some ideas. He has the best hair in the race so far, I he think. He definitely has he the does. best hair in he the race. He has the best photos also, I will say, because like he doesn't have your average politician photo. He's no. like in the club. Did you did Westford take those photos? Yeah, okay. Evan Evan <laughs> Simone took those. That's and right. he said when uh, he went to Beta to take those photo photos, Valentis was kind of treating it like like a modeling I could, you could, of it course. comes across yeah. in the photos. It worked. Yeah. And then, um, so when I spoke with Valentis <laughs> the other day, um, to talk about his mayoral candidacy, his, he had his lawyer on the phone and his lawyer was saying, yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you guys could use like a photo that's more affable <laughs> of, of Valentis for this. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then Valentis was like, yeah, use, use this one of me. Um, lounging, <laughs> lounging at beta. So yeah, I use I just, that one, yeah. and I think it's more, like, slightly more affable than the two other ones that we go to a lot. <laughs> They're all great. They're all, all great. Of them are great. Valentis is great. He's running for mayor. Well, he says he's running for mayor. He says he's running for mayor. He says I, a lot of things. He says a lot of things. I felt a lot more comfortable about it, given that his lawyer, who I've known for a while, just because he's been involved in his defenses against mm -hmm. the city was on the phone and he said, 
I asked, when are you guys going to register? And he said, in the next week or two, we're setting up the campaign website right now. They got to figure out some campaign finance stuff. So mm-hmm. the fact that they were able to use that that kind of terminology, I felt uh, much more comfortable saying, yeah, he's running for mayor. They looked into it. it they they t- at least okay. That's, Ex- I mean, excuse that's interesting. me. Uh, he's a man of his word. I don't know Fair. if you guys. He is have a man true. of his word. <laughs> I've read that and heard him say it several times. Yeah. So, uh, before we move on from Valenti's breed, do you, what do you think of him as a mayoral candidate? Jump on in. Why not? It's going to be a crazy circus. <laughs> Water's warm. Everyone's well, invited. I, it's only what September. Uh huh. It's not till April. I always think about how Patty said Hickenlooper didn't jump until January mm-hmm. of the year that he won. So we have no idea who else is coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Valentes is just the latest, and I can't wait to see. It's going to be a real situation. <laughs> I'm interested in his ideas. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he works in a contentious area of the city, and he seems to know what's going on. Maybe he has some actual solutions for problems, like not just sending police in to shoot people. Outside of a food truck. He does want to extend the uh, the closing hours for bars and clubs to 4 a.m. or 6 a.m. Um, and 4 a.m. That's a lot of cocaine sales in a bathroom of a club, I'll tell you, if you're oh, open until 6 a.m. For sure, for sure. That's... <laughs> Yeah, in Colorado, cocaine capital of the world, or the country, apparently, which is hilarious. Car thefts, cocaine. Car thefts, cocaine. Also, road rage I saw this morning. There was some list. It's just a real grand theft auto of a state Everyone's on coke and stealing cars and then getting angry on the road. (sighs) Okay, well, we'll keep an eye on that. We should move on. I mean, we've already invoked the pandemonium on our roads, and our main topic today is a big part of that. E-bikes. This was the summer of e-bikes in Denver, right? Yeah. For sure. They hit. People were excited. What yeah. was what was your experience of this? Uh Connor, let's start with you. So I I've been I've had a, a bike for a long time. Um for years I've been someone who commutes by bike. And in April, when this e-bike rebate program for the city of Denver went live. I thought to myself, okay, this is pretty cool. They're offering 400 for um, just regular e-bike rebates mm-hmm. and then 1200 for uh, people with lower incomes or who are on um, certain benefits. And then they're offering additional money to add a cargo element to the e-bike. And oh, s- mm-hmm. yeah. I didn't know that. Because yeah. that makes sense because they're more expensive. They're so. more expensive. Yeah. And so um, I just started looking and toured around i went to fatty bikes to try out one of their bikes and it's a it's a it has a throttle with it because it's a class two e-bike so it's pedal assist and throttle assist oh that's interesting i didn't so you, know that yeah so you could ride around just using the throttle not pedaling oh that's a different kind of thing than what we rode yeah for sure mm-hmm. and so then, and then I went to REI to try um, a less expensive class one e-bike, which is a pedal assist only. And both class one and class two, the electric assist kicks off at 20 miles per hour. That's when it stops. Whereas a class three, which is the other one, is up to 28 miles per hour motor Whoa. assist, but it's only pedal assist. So there's no throttle hmm. and uh, the rebates. So I, I qualified for an income restricted rebate for $1,200 for a regular e-bike. And I had two months 
to use it. Mm -hmm. And so I spent weeks just kind of thinking about it, doing research, really reflecting on what I wanted in an e-bike. And I came to the conclusion that, I mean, one, that there was a, a pretty large price difference between the fatty bike and which is a great bike. And what are the, we looking at price wise for that? So or the fatty like bike roughly? was it was maybe like a thousand dollars more. I ended up spending probably it might have been eight hundred dollars more. I ended up spending like seven hundred and fifty seven dollars out of my own pocket and then the there was a twelve hundred dollar rebate. So Oh, that's not that bad actually. Not that bad. And so um I concluded that I mean I'm young I'm able-bodied. I'm healthy. I I want to not get lazy and use just settle with the throttle. So I <laughs> I decided I want the pedal assist because I want to actually get exercise when I bike around. And so then I got the REI one, and uh, took maybe a week for it to be ready to, for them to get it ready. And then I started riding it, and I've just been riding it pretty much every day. Uh, since I got it, it's it's really amazing. It's it's a ton of fun to ride, and I ride to and from work every day. And then I also ride if I'm doing reporting, say I have to go to Wash Park or other places around the city. I'll often ride rather than I would have driven in the past. Mm -hmm. And just because you have a lot more flexibility in getting further distances. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned you were a bike guy before this, but you also drive. So did you get rid of your car? No, okay. I mean, I feel like one day I probably <laughs> will, um, but no, not at this point. I like my car. It seems like there's a note of sadness and sorrow in your voice when there, you say that. There is. I mean, once you once you kind of <laughs> can we go, unpack that? Can yeah, we get once, into those feelings. You, sure, sure. <laughs> once you kind of go like e bike and become like a pretty avid e biker, um, you you start to realize that you don't need a car for so much of what you do and you know i i have this bag that i put on the back rack of my bike where it kind of flops down and has compartments on both sides and so you know i've gone to trader joe's and done really large trips which is getting a ton of frozen food um so you have it for like weeks and you could do kind of large grocery runs in that regard um and costco i you know, I love Costco. I know you do. I do love Costco. And so, I how still, do you go to Costco? I, with I still, I, I think you can, this. but I'm still just going on my car because I also go to fill up my gas tank. Right, because the gas is cheap. Gas is cheap, and I get points on my Costco credit card. And so, <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, no, I do feel a tinge of sadness because I, you ultimately want to get over that hump and be like, okay, I'm the I'm the e bike guy now. I don't have a car. I'm like thriving in denver with just an e-bike but i feel you that's the tough part i don't think i could let go of my car Bree, how about you how about your experience of the summer of e-bikes well we I'm just i'm sure you were tempted i i, I don't care no honestly okay. no not really um but we did have this opportunity to ride bikes e-bikes yes. e earlier this week and it was awesome like mm. i get it now because initially i was like i've had summers where i just biked everywhere and you get super fit and 
you know what I mean? It has all these other qualities of like raising your heart rate and, you know, endorphins and all the good stuff that comes Mm -hmm. along with all forms of exercise. But so I, my assumption was, oh, e-bikes are just like for lazy people, but no, they're for long distances. They're, you know, they're for actually commuting places because you don't show up head to toe covered in sweat as much. Mm -hmm. We were definitely sweaty. It was hot. But when we were going up a hill, I wasn't, Yeah, (laughs) I was talking at like regular pace. So it was, it was definitely transformational in how I view and understood why e-bikes are such a big deal totally get it now. Hmm. Well, let's, um, let's go take a broader look and I want to play a little bit of, um, our conversation with, uh, one of the people we went on that e-bike ride with Mackenzie Hart of the Hart family cyclery, which is out, um, out by the Stanley marketplace. He and our, our friend Avi stopper of the bike streets project, they offered to take us on this ride. They brought the bikes and we went around my neighborhood. It was cool. Yeah. So here's really fun. Here's um, a broader look at what this summer of e-bikes has looked like from Mackenzie, the the shop owner's perspective. One of the reasons I own a shop now is I just can't really stand to work in someone else's shop anymore. <laughs> um, especially in Colorado, the whole industry is sports, spandex, and toys. So you're either getting yeah. a department store bike for $20, it's a toy that'll be thrown away in a few months or weeks, or you're spending way too much money, you know, getting kitted up in spandex. And if you're not, you know, a six foot three, 40 year old white male, you, you probably don't get much uh, attention in a bike shop or, or really, you know, have your questions answered or be able to actually um, test ride and really do what you need to do in that in that setting. Um, my specialty at my shop is, is to be the shop for the other customer. Um, I don't come from a racing background. You can put as much spandex on this as you want. I will never be aerodynamic. Um, that's not my ride style. My ride style is bikes do a lot for me and a lot in my life, but bikes should always be fun. But also our shop is, is really meant for everybody else. So a lot of our riders are larger folks. Uh, we have a lot of riders that are two and 300 pounds. We have a lot of riders that are on the shorter side. I, I work with a lot of uh, different bikes. You'll see the, the turns here behind you. Uh, we bring those brands in because they work with folks down to 410. So we have a lot of folks that can't go into the average cycling shop and just get the regular bike that was designed for someone six foot. And they may have cut the tubes smaller for someone shorter, but the geometry wasn't meant for them. You know, in our shop, we want to have enough bikes to be able to show different size folks how they can be a part of this industry and how they can be a part of the world of biking um, in a really fun way. I mean, that's like the whole moment we're living in right now. Yeah, this, it's really, this, how, how does that feel to you? To see oh, more it. people than, I mean, it's I've noticed more people than ever talking about biking. Absolutely. Oh yeah, so, so many people are coming out of the woodwork. I mean, the cycling um, in the U.S., the largest market uh, that we don't cater to, about 80% of people in the U.S. are interested but concerned. And I think in the last probably three to five years, uh, the industry has really started to push more bikes for the everyday person. So we're seeing a really great increase in technology in the hybrid style bike and not just the road bike and the Tour de France style bike, but more of like your commuter style and you're having fun bike and the bike meant to carry things and people. And it's not a fad. It's not something that's going to go away. This is that can continue to increase in the U.S. market. So we heard a lot of interesting stuff from Mackenzie Hart just now, but Connor, I wanted to ask you about one part of that. He said, um, it's not a fad. This new thing that's happening with people and bikes and more people being interested in e-bikes making that possible. It's not a fad. It's not going away. What do you think? I totally agree. I mean, you just it's just a, the latest technological evolution of bikes. I mean, bikes, 100 
120 years ago, they looked a lot different than they look today. <laughs> I mean, you had the gigantic wheel <laughs> up front and then the tiny wheel out back, and then they've just gotten better and better and better. And they're um, making it easier to use, and they're getting lighter and they're getting faster. And so now they're just getting a little electric motor assist, which, yeah, I think it's going to grow. Um, I think we're going to see an acceleration in people continuing to purchase e-bikes. Bree, do you agree? I do. I think my only hang-up is the price point. I mean, if you compare it to a car, obviously, it's a way better deal. But I think it's still going to be prohibitive for some folks. It's nice. I think the city having the rebate is incredible. I think it's a great move on our part as a city. Um, I love that we committed to doing that. And I hope that that gets just enough of the demand going that maybe the price can go down a little bit. But um, that's just my my main concern is accessibility from a price standpoint. Yeah, I mean, they're still really expensive. Like yeah. we were talking to Mackenzie and Avi and Mackenzie had this big cargo bike, which looks awesome. beautiful. He said he could carry like three kids in there. It he was said he huge. carried concrete in it. He carried five bags of mulch, two by fours. I mean, <laughs> it was a pretty you, heavy duty bike. Anything you put in your Subaru, maybe you can put in your cargo bike. Right. <laughs> but it was like seven grand. Seven thousand dollars. Yeah. It's like, and like, no offense, but like, that's also like what my Subaru cost. Yeah, that's that's. And I can super go to the expensive. mountains in my Subaru. I um, I, I think it's uh the Hart family cycler or there, I know there's definitely one shop in Denver that sells uh one type of e bike that's essentially almost like covered completely by the income restricted oh, rebate. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So, so uh, there are some options. Yeah. So you end up paying like I don't know like eighty bucks out of pocket, and so oh that's good. Having more e bikes like that in Denver that are covered by the rebate completely is is just a really equitable thing to yeah. continue to promote and um but yeah no I agree they're they're very expensive and it kind of requires like a mental paradigm shift um for someone making the purchase like if you are going to buy something that's $7,000 it really does have to be you're selling your car yeah or moving to a one car household from a two car household cuz otherwise it's it's a lot unless unless you have that money then um that's different let's see it let's yeah let's go. do it let's do it all right yes all right so we'll give you all a quick like we got a test coming up here yeah this yeah, is real this is real oh yeah I would be sweating at the top of this normally. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's it. That's it. You drop here, bump it up the turbo. Oh, boy. Take your time. <laughs> you can have a conversation while you're still riding. This is a crazy hill. This is a gnarly hill, and yeah, this yes. is very pleasant. Yeah. That's the whole idea. And yeah, you're going to run your battery down pretty quick from doing that for 20 miles, but. We only have these hills for like a block. What'd you think? That's, I mean, that's pretty cool. That's pretty you guys cool. aren't even breathing. Yeah. yeah, we're talking hey. the whole way up the hill. This episode is brought to you by Pine Melon, the farmer's market delivered. 
Pine Melon is a next-generation grocery delivery app that partners with over 200 farmers, ranchers, and producers in Colorado to help make fresh, locally sourced foods available to the Denver community at fair prices. Get high-quality meats, eggs, and dairy from small local farms, fresh-baked breads from local bakeries, and more, as well as all of your favorite pantry staples. Best part is, Pine Melon offers same-day delivery to Denver and soon Boulder within a two-hour window, no subscription necessary. Save time in your busy schedule and get fresh and healthy groceries delivered right to your door. Join the movement and support local today. Use promo code CityCastDenver for $75 off your first delivery at PineMelon.com. That's PineMelon.com. I'd also worry about it getting stolen. Oh, I'm I'm Ugh, I'm like immensely God. paranoid about yeah. it getting stolen. You like it up outside? No. Uh well, I mean, when I okay, so here's an example. Um I bring it into my apartment and I have it inside my apartment so mm-hmm. it's secure there and then when I come into work, I put it by my desk and mm-hmm. so it's secure there and then when I go to say Trader Joe's uh in Cap Hill, I will lock it up in their bike rack there with a U-lock and then kind of one of those um, like lengthy wire locks that you put through the wheels. Right. And then you lock it all up. Um, but yeah, I, I, I get paranoid while I'm in Trader Joe's and when I get out there, I'm like, okay, yeah. it's all there. But yeah, no, I'm super paranoid. Um, I, I don't feel, I don't feel comfortable. Like I went to, um, what's that place? Pub on... Pearl is the one like mm-hmm. kind of near south, like off South Broadway. And um, yeah, I, I I went there last Thursday actually to watch the football game. And I there were two reasons why I didn't bike there. One is because it's not a super pleasant commute to go. Um, it was going to rain. And mm. I mean, it's not always a super pleasant commute if I were to go down Broadway. I could have gone down other streets. Wait, um, you mean the street with the protected bike lane? Isn't it not ready yet? Or has it been? <laughs> it depends it's on which there. part of Broadway. It's there, sort of. It's, oh. There's parts of it. Yeah. But I feel you. I w- it's, it's Streets like that are scary. Yeah. Um, but then also, <laughs> I didn't feel comfortable leaving my bike outside for three hours, even if it was right there. Yeah, that I think is a genuine. I'm thinking about like, oh, you want to ride it to a concert or something where you're going to be out late. Like, nothing would be more awful than coming out of a show at midnight or 1 a.m. and then not having your bike there, you know? Well, mm. I mean, the one the one kind of workaround to that is that some of these concerts and events have like bike corrals. Oh, where, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, for example, um, Jazz in the Park, they have that. The uh, Quartz Field, the Rockies have one. Um, and they have like an attendant there. They have an attendant there. So, you know, you just flip them a couple bucks at the end and uh, you can park your bike there. Oh, that's awesome. And okay, not have to worry. To think about. What? What are you laughing Just thinking about? about tipping a bike attendant. Never had to do that before. I, I don't know. Yeah. Tipping's been on my mind since last week. No, I don't know. <laughs> I asked someone if you tip a bike attendant and I got for these corrals. And so I, I don't know. I've never actually used one. I would tip I, I mean, I would, anybody that does. And then, yeah, I'd rather have them be like, no, dude, this is like, I have a, a like a wage for this. Like, you don't have to do this rather <laughs> than them being like, like upset. resentful. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're kind of already getting into this next topic. It's like, it's the infrastructure question. Where do you ride it? Where's good to ride it? How does this, you know, the pandemonium on our streets, everybody has a different way of getting around. Um, so this is a question that, Brie, you put to Avi Stopper. I've got a short clip and let's talk about it in a sec. 
Are we talking about like where we ride these because they're electric versus a analog? But like that was my question, honestly, was like, where do e-bikes belong in the current transit experience that we have in a place like Denver? Like, where do you ride it? You ride it everywhere. And that's the point. The point is that e-bikes make biking possible for a dramatic new number of folks. And that's what's really cool about them. And any notion that it's sort of a controversial type of thing is really a distraction from the gigantic benefits that they provide. Love the geese, the (laughs) ambient geese. Shout out to Barnum Rec Center for the geese <laughs> providing a little sound effects. Yeah, I mean, I was not satisfied with that answer. I'll just say that mm-hmm. it's like it still leaves me with: Do I ride it on the Cherry Creek Trail with the other bikes? Where yeah. do you ride it? So, um, yeah, e- there. So people who are like big bicycle advocates and e-bike proponents will tell you, like they'll kind of like play down the controversy over e-bikes and they'll say a lot of it has to do with the fact that we don't have large enough um, paths on our bike infrastructure and we just don't have enough bike infrastructure, which is really true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there also is a pretty legitimate controversy um, and the motivations and reasons for it are varied, but there are some analog bikers who really don't like e-bikes. And so Cherry Hills Village for example, the Highline Canal Trail. I was like, do people ride bikes there? People do ride bikes <laughs> They there. probably ride very expensive analog bikes. Rich rich people <laughs> love bikes too. That's true. Um, they just have really nice bikes. <laughs> and so Cherry Hills Village, uh, the Highline Canal Trail, mm-hmm. that section of it, e-bikes are not allowed. And Interesting. The city council there actually um, explored, hey, should we allow this? And they got a ton of public feedback saying, like, no, we should not allow e-bikes on the trails. Um, (sighs) There were some folks who wrote in and were like, yeah, of course you should allow e-bikes on the trails. But they ultimately decided not to change their ordinances. And so if you're on the Highline Canal Trail, you can be traveling. um, In one moment, you're on an e-bike and it's totally legal. And then the next moment, you're in Cherry Hills Village and you're technically violating Cherry Hills so village it, law. It could depend per municipality, which can be tough to parse through in Super the confusing. Denver metro, especially because we have all these tiny little, you know what I mean? Not to disparage them as tiny, but like, I guess they're just adjoining. We have mm-hmm. Edgewater, Lakewood, you know what I mean? All these places that connect to Denver. And if they don't have the same, I don't know, I could see it being a little bit daunting as a person who's trying to do the right thing and ride their bike. Yeah, I mean, there's all these different type classes of e-bikes. And so, like, what yeah. are you supposed to do as a pedestrian who doesn't know those distinctions? Yeah. You know, I don't know how fast this type of e-bike is going to come at me versus this type of e-bike. I don't know the e-bikes. Also, I have, you know, as a trail user, a trail lover on my analog bike for years, the experience of being zipped past by an e-bike is very similar to the experience of being zipped past by... A scooter? I was going to say one of these, like, uh, what our past guest, Jesse Clark, uh, called uh, mammals, middle-aged men in Lycra, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the morning warriors. It's it's just as intimidating. It's about the speed. And I, it, to me, it doesn't, I it happened to me this morning. It was like, uh, I don't guys. know. It feels, someone had passed by me on an e-bike going real fast and it was, it was a little off-putting. It, 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 it left me a little um, not comfortable, not as comfortable as I want it to be. 
this has also been a long-running complaint of mine about scooters. They're yeah, terrifying same, to same. a pedestrian. Mm-hmm. Like I, I am afraid. Sometimes someone zips around me. They have their head, their earbuds in, or I have my earbuds in. I actually only wear one earbud when I'm out for that reason because I don't want to get hit by someone or not see yeah. someone or hear someone coming. But yeah, it's like I don't know. It's hard. It's, it's hard. super hard. But also, this is the argument for giving up more of our roads. Um, to pedestrians and taking them from cars, which oh also I, I see we've needed for a long time. This maybe is that push mm-hmm. that gets us there. I mm-hmm. mean, it's obvious that scooters need uh, a place. <laughs> yeah. Like they they really don't have a place right now, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the reason why they're on sidewalks so often is because they don't people don't feel comfortable. <laughs> people don't feel comfortable going in the street and I, I can't blame them. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I see both sides of it. I see know? both sides of it. I do hate getting past um, on the sidewalk by a scooter. Terrifies the shit out of rider. me. Or I'll see a scooter. I saw this the other day and I was like, there was a child wrapped around the legs of a adult on a scooter. And I was like, the minute that scooter goes down, the kid goes first. Like, this For is... Sure. <laughs> But yeah, again, yeah. you could make that argument. Cars are just as dangerous. So yeah. Um, so we've been talking about the infrastructure. We also need to talk about one other aspect that has been, I don't know about controversial, but it's just like not getting, not a big enough part of the conversation. We had uh, Ben Chavez on the show a few weeks ago, and he made a comment about e-bikes that I think we should discuss a little bit further. My, I got a, I got, yo, I got a, this is a loaded question. All right. Praise the Lord. Um, you know, so my, my take on this with e-bikes and bike lanes and like all of these different things, like, um, no one in my ears have talked about it coming from a person of color's lens and access. So therefore, like, I don't want to hear it. I look at bike lanes like 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 Christopher Columbus paths to gentrifying people's neighborhoods. You're like, oh look, dear, there's the new Navaria. You know what I mean? Like, and then we can go get an elote. And what I mean by that is, is that like when you have abuelitas that are watching their like their little niños, you know what I mean? Their mocosos, you know what I mean? Like they got four or five of them, and they got their like you know their kids are working and they're watching their grandkids. Like, how are they going to take their, they, they got to go to the grocery store and they got to go wash laundry. Like, how are they going to get on a bike? You know what I mean? And like, we're talking about like making the fabric of this like city, like walkable and bikeable and connectivity and like all of these things like that. But we're not talking about like how we get, you know, bikes to people of color. That's a hard question. I agree with him to a certain extent. I think the the frustrating part is like, do we have to have e-bikes to eventually get those paths created that are accessible and safe for everyone? Like, is that going to get us the wider sidewalk? Is that going to get us the path that accommodates the e-bike, the regular bike, uh, the chair, you know, the person walking or a person using a wheelchair? Is this what it's going to take to push the city to prioritize that more? I don't know. And I do, I, I hear what he's saying too, because I think about the bike lane conversation in relationship to gentrification. It was a This was a conversation. I used to live on Knox Court um, on the west side, and it's very busy. It's a thoroughfare from Alameda all the way to Colfax. It's one of the few Mm -hmm. streets that goes all the way through the neighborhood. So people drive very fast on it. 
Well, then they put bike lanes in and it was like almost like to protect the parked cars because the bike lanes are now the thing between parked cars and cars driving. And it should be the other way. Right. Right. And but the neighborhood was really not happy about losing their parking. And there's a lot of people that drive in my neighborhood for a lot of different reasons. But I just thought about I agree with him and like it's not going to solve our societal issues with like transit for older folks, Mm -hmm. transit for people that are taking care of families. Like I I think I just think that they could be in tandem with other things that make our neighborhoods better. So they don't just feel like, oh, we're putting in a bike lane because white people are moving here because I get that. It feels like that. You know, it just occurred to me, this um, this program came from the climate office, you know, mm-hmm. and what is the other office that we've heard a lot about from the Hancock administration is this diversity, equity, inclusion office. And the latest report about them was that they were having a hard time working with other departments. And I wonder if this is an example of that, of maybe the climate office didn't have didn't have somebody talking to them like, hey, what else can we do here? Like what yeah. other programs or can we do outreach or can we do... Like specifically targeted, pro- like what does the community want? What? Well, and I'm laughing not because it's funny. I'm laughing because this is how DEI is treated. It's like diversity, equity, inclusion. Just plug it in and retrofit it to these systems that we already have that are not working. So that's kind of what maybe happened here. Okay, the cl- climate and equity and diversity and equity and inclusion should be things that work really well together, but they have to address systematic issues. Yeah, and that's probably a bigger task to take on than these offices are equipped to do in in their defense mm-hmm. they i think they've done a good job in getting these rebates in the hands totally and used by um people like racially diverse populations um economically diverse populations i, I think they've done a, a better job than probably all the other city agencies uh normally do they've They've done a pretty commendable job in that regard. But you I mean, you do make a, a good point. Like these aren't for everyone. And I think, um, you know, the grandmother in, say, West Denver, she needs better access to public transit, not um, a bike. Lane. A bike. But, you know, I also don't think we should, you know, just throw the baby out with the bathwater right. with this. Like probably both things should be happening simultaneously. Yeah. Um, I mean, here's an example like. Like we were saying about Cherry Hills Village, I mean, rich people do bike because they have really nice bikeable areas. <laughs> they have these great trails. But they're not like biking to commute or... They're not biking to commute. <laughs> um, but I mean, so people should be biking for all different types sure. of reasons. And um, so they have really bikeable streets, really bikeable bike lanes, bike trails. Um, whereas, you know, I was biking a couple of weeks ago from downtown to uh, West Denver to get to the Corky Gonzalez Library. And I went on the Colfax route and it was it was such a terrible so experience. Scary. And I think um, that's just representative of certain communities have these these better routes and, and then other communities don't have good bike routes. But I, I think um, I mean, everybody, if if biking was made more accessible to people, they would a lot of people would take it up if they could. Hmm. Agreed. But right. access is a multifaceted thing for sure mm-hmm. it's like you know economics and social and how we move in the world and how we're you know where places we're supposed to be like where we're allowed to be and so i i hear i definitely hear what ben is saying mm-hmm. i just think that 
we just need to push for better transit outcomes all around and supporting bike infrastructure could be part of that. Yeah. You know? Well, I think um, that might be as much as we know so far. I mean, that's the summer of e-bikes. That was the conversation. <laughs> that was the controversy. I'm curious now, in a year where we'll be, exactly. but I do think that the off, the climate office is doing a, a great job. I agree with you, Connor. I think that this is cool. This is a cool thing that our city did. The demand was clearly there and they've continued to try to meet it. Mm -hmm. They didn't just say, oh, sorry, one time thing, whatever. They're like, okay, clearly this is of interest. Let's figure out how to keep doing it. And the rebates are reopening at the beginning of October. We'll have a link to learn more about that uh, in the show notes if you um, want to give this e-bike thing a try. Mackenzie Hart, Hart Family Cyclery, he'll lend you one for a weekend. He told oh, yeah. us that. So if, if you, you want to try, try it one, out, check wow. it out for a weekend. Which I would say is the best way to figure out if it's a thing you want. Like I would have never known if I didn't get on an e-bike bike and try it. And I was like, oh, okay. This has totally changed my perspective. We're back. Okay. I thought maybe we could do a little wrap up. A little wrap. We just went eight miles in an hour. How do we feel? <laughs> Not tired. <laughs> it was great. It was like so low stress. You're not, we went up some big hills. Like if anybody, if you know, we're in like the West West side. So we went through Barnum, Westwood. Uh, where else did we go? Did we get into Ruby Hill? Valverde. Valverde. Yeah, not quite to Ruby Hill, but it can be really hilly. And I am not tired. <laughs> it was great. It was so great. Yeah, I barely feel it. This <laughs> is incredible, guys. Thanks so much for bringing these bikes. It's kind of wild. Giving us the trail and showing us what you're all about. You ride this thing for like one block and you get it. It's immediate. It's so obvious. The I was difference. like, I don't want to ride my regular bike ever again. It just makes it easier, but also it makes longer distances possible. And it do you don't have to be this like, you know, heavy mountain bike, like trail riding person. You can also just be somebody that wants to ride their bike instead of drive. Right. So that's why the real story about bikes and where we are both in terms of infrastructure and technology is the story is about access. Yeah, totally. All right, we have a couple of interesting pieces of listener feedback from our show last Friday. Um, Want to end with these two this week and actually hear your thoughts about this too, Connor, if you're game. Sure. Um, so we, last week we talked about tipping, tipping fatigue, this problem that people in Denver are tipping less, especially on takeout orders was the problem. Um, and so we got some feedback from past guest John in Bergamo, who's this like restaurant... Um, I don't he's know. been in the business or, for a yeah, long time. He's leader? done PR for restaurants. He's Writer. kind of a, yeah. He's behind yeah. the scenes. He knows a lot of what's going. He works directly with restaurants on a lot of different things. So, yeah. mm -hmm. and he's also run. He's been a restaurateur. He's he's done a lot over the last 30, 40 years in mm -hmm. Denver. He knows yeah. restaurants. So for so sure. he was writing in. I think on behalf of his clients, these restaurants he works with, and he wanted to let us know that there are in fact a number of fine dining restaurants in addition to Frank Bonanno's restaurant group that use these service charges of around 20%. Um, he also wanted us to know that he expects that these service charges are going to be much more prolific starting on January 1st when the minimum wage goes up. He says there are significant reasons to move to the service fee model. In order to implement a service fee, all employees must be paid the regular minimum wage, which is going to $17.29 on January 1st, not the tipped minimum wage. 
which is currently $12.58 an hour and is going up to $14.27. So that's, that's the choice that these restaurateurs are making is do we pay people the true minimum wage and institute a service fee or do we maintain this tipping system? I thought that was fascinating That's insight really from John. Yeah. yeah, I know that restaurants in in Denver in particular have um, really complained a lot about, or restaurant owners have really complained a lot about the disparity um, in what tipped workers are going to be getting or have been getting with this new minimum wage and what um, regular wage workers are getting. Um, so it's like front house, back house, like sure. huge differences. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, that's a that's a whole lot to unpack, and that's that's a tough one. I definitely have um, tipping fatigue mm-hmm. with uh, the iPads. Oh my gosh, yes, that's, the iPads. No, I don't mind. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I I always tip twenty percent at the restaurant, but um, the the iPad thing, yeah, it's like a peer pressure thing, a shame thing. Um, Puts you in a weird pressure situation, especially yeah. when you're waiting in line at a food truck. You know oh, I mean? yeah. You got someone over your shoulder. Yeah, waiting like, okay, I want to put in my order. I'm the, like, I'm trying to tip. <laughs> well, no. And it's also like if you're with, say, someone you're getting um, coffee or, or lunch with for the first time and they're behind you <laughs> and they're going to judge you based on how much you tip. So it's that's a tough one. 69% every time. Oh, yeah. That's the way to impress. I usually do 4.2%, 420. Nice. Yeah, nice. nice. Um, all right. Well, we got one more. And, Bri, I want to hear your take on this one. This is Oliver from Lakewood who says they uh, are a service industry vet of 10 years, mostly back of house, but also front of house. They say, I really appreciate you guys for continuing the conversation on this issue, but implementing service fees, in my opinion, is the wrong way to solve the problem. Yes, that can help employees get more income, but it's still reliant on customers customers spending money at that business. Additionally, service fees can mislead customers about the actual price of their order since the fee is shown Mm. on the register instead of the menu, which I agree with. I mean, when you're looking at a menu and you see a price and you're hungry, that's when you make your decision. And then you're put in this position at the end of the meal when you have to choose whether or not to tip or not. It's just a very, I've always found that to be an odd dynamic. Mm. And, you know, I, I realize that I have my own, you know, unique perspective on that kind of thing, but you know, not everyone feels that. But I, I appreciated that comment from Oliver. Bree? I'm, I'm just confused. I don't know what the best solution is. I don't know if the service fee, because like we were talking about this on that episode, like the cost, food cost, we don't know what our food actually costs if we actually paid living wages, fair wages yeah. to every step in the process to getting that food. So... I, I don't I don't know. It's this weird thing where we have to decide what something's worth in this moment. And like we don't do that with a lot of other things. We don't decide the worth of things. And so it's it's tough. But I felt after the converse, after the feedback that we got, especially from John about these service fees being instituted everywhere, I was like, oh, maybe I am tipping too much. Then. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, if this is working for the restaurants, I don't know. I don't know either. I, I don't know. It's left me with even more questions. Well, we got time before the minimum wage goes up in January. I think we should keep talking about it. I want to hear from more people. Yeah. Um, we had got one last comment. Bree, do you want to oh, read this I one? Do. From This is totally not related to tipping, but um, <laughs> Gerald W. wrote in, This is the sweetest comment we've ever gotten. I can't imagine my life having the same joy without your podcast. 
I moved to Denver during the pandemic and depression set in pretty quickly. I was unable to make new social circles and the community I looked forward to supporting was not ready for new people. I found this podcast when I had no direction, but quickly I learned the ins and outs of all sides of conversations taking place all over. I found places to take my wife for date nights and hikes, and the history you weave in and out of each episode gives me the context to feel comfortable interacting with strangers and acquaintances alike. I know I'll never truly be a Denverite, but I'm grateful for the service you offer us all. First of all, Gerald, you're a Denverite. For sure. 100%. (laughs) Anybody that moves here and wants to give a shit about this place to me, that's all it takes. Like communities about showing up. Yeah. And it breaks my heart. I can't imagine moving anywhere during the pandemic and trying to meet people. So I feel you, but I'm glad that we can provide that. But what a nice, it was just such a nice thing, but all, I just really want Gerald to know you are a Denverite and we appreciate you. That's such a beautiful, beautiful thing to write in. I know. Yeah. I like, Thank you, Gerald. We, we have the best listeners. We like, as people who work in media, like we don't need those comments, but to get them really on nice. the rare occasion, it's, it's really, really nice. It is rare and it's really sweet when it happens. So thanks, Gerald. Well, Connor McCormick Cavanaugh, thanks for joining us on CityCast Denver. Yeah, thanks thanks for having me. And that's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, Lizzie Goldsmith, and Aaron O'Toole. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mocachetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren, plus more from the Epidemic Sound Library. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, at CityCast Denver. And tell, tell your e-bike shop owner, tell your salesman at the bike shop about us next time you see him. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. See you next week.